Today's Blank Slate is brought to you per usual by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash blank slate for your free membership and free audiobook download, free 30-day membership, shall I say, uh, of which you'll have access to over 150,000 titles to download for your iPhone, uh, Android, MP3 player, what have you. So head on over there. Uh, my recommendation this week, obviously, as you'll see by the title of this, will be Users uh, by co-authors Stacy and Jennifer Buck. We'll get into a little bit more of the reasoning for that in the intro. Uh, but yeah, head on over to audibletrial.com slash blank slate for your free 30-day free trial and Audible book, audiobook download. Boy, if they started calling them audible books, then that would either be that the books would be never mind, not gonna make I'm not gonna get a week of the week on the ad intro. So uh yeah, this is gonna be a lot of me throwing it to myself. So hey, let's start the blank slate. This is the Podswoggle Network, a podcast network with entertainment. Welcome to the blank slate. Thank you for pushing play. I am your solo host for today, Rich Camalucci, uh, and we are performing a bit of an experiment today. This is a very special episode, as you heard uh, at the top there. This is the first edition of The Blank Slate, The Blank Page, our, I guess, our author interview series. Uh, I've been trying to kick around this idea for a while now. I've been conflicted on how to approach it and what would be the best way to do it, if to do it at all, because basically what I found was happening was, uh, as you may or may not have known, I started to record uh, audiobooks. I started to narrate audiobooks towards the end of 2014. And as such, uh, I've been able to really read and interact with a lot of fascinating people that I otherwise would not have had the chance to. And as you've been listening to The Blank Slate, I've been, uh, or any of the other podcasts on the Podswoggle Network, uh, I've been promoting the works that I've done as they've been finished and been released in Audible and iTunes and other uh, various outlets. And I felt like this was definitely a unique opportunity to you know, I have access to these creatives and these creative people and types and that I otherwise wouldn't have if I hadn't have done this. But at the same time, I didn't want it to seem, I don't know, in any way sort of shady or just uh, like I'm just going crazy with this small scale vertical integration. But I figured to go ahead and, you know, reach out to the people that I've worked with so far in the audiobook space. And uh, my first interview was with uh, Stacy Buck, co-author of Users, book one, My Angels Have Demons. And after that interview, it was solidified for me that this is definitely worth it. Definitely the right thing to do. Uh, beyond just, I, I didn't want to be too self-promote-y. It gets lame and gross and I didn't want to be gross about all of this and after this interview I don't think it is if you think it is please let me know but I really think there is value and worth to this and it's not all just one 40 minute uh uh, uh just uh you know 
gab fest about how great the audiobook is and all that stuff. There's a lot of talk about process. Stacy Buck's background is fascinating and compelling, and he talks a lot, very openly, uh, about his, his battle with drugs and sobriety and jail time. Uh, something that I wish we weren't over Skype for because it's such an impersonal uh, uh, way to, to talk to somebody. And I wanted to ask a little bit more follow up and whatnot. Uh, but it just didn't feel right over Skype. Like if we're, you know, in person, we can look each other in the eyes. It would be more of like an engaged conversation, but the fact that he was able to open up as much as he did, uh, just about his upbringing and, and everything else is still commendable and fascinating and and amazing to listen to. Uh, we talk and and he talks openly about the relationship with his wife and how they work together. She is the co-author on all of his books. Jennifer Buck is her name. Uh, we also get into the business of independent publishing and just the indie spirit in general. We also talk a little bit about ACX.com, which uh, I don't explain in the interview, so I'll just go ahead and take the time to give that context and, and framing here. It's pretty much the uh, website set up by Amazon.com to match narrators and producers with authors and publishers. And that's pretty much the entire reason and how I've gotten into this racket. <laughs> um, uh, it was uh, I was pointed the way by a, a good friend of mine, my buddy Bryce, and uh yeah got into it and it's been working and hopefully i'm going to be able to turn this into like a, a some sort of a, a full-time gig if not a part-time gig so if you have any other questions about that uh feel free to hit any of us up uh i mean they have their own twitter but you can hit me up as well uh you could hit <laughs> bryce up i i will get his twitter out to you the next uh edition of the blank page i promise you that acx.com really cool thing but that's pretty much what it is it's 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 a match.com for uh actors narrators uh producers to meet and get matched up with authors and narrators or uh, authors and publishers uh that otherwise well wouldn't have met each other and been able to work together and it's just been a, a really uh, great, fascinating, and re enriching, rewarding experience for me, and this is a way for me to share that with you guys uh, and introduce uh, this audience to you know a new author you otherwise maybe would have not heard of, uh, as well as hopefully you know the people that I have on the show will introduce their audience to a medium and uh, a format that they otherwise would not have been introduced to. And uh, yeah, just really trying to, to grow the whole thing out and do some amazing stuff in this uh, brave new space, as we can call it. One last little bit of housekeeping before we get to the interview. Uh, yesterday, the voting, the, the uh, nomination process for the podcast awards opened up and what we want to do is make history. Our the flagship show of the Podswoggle Network, Podswoggle, a wrestling podcast with entertainment, wants to be the first wrestling pro wrestling podcast in podcast award history to win uh, a podcast award. Uh, that, that's it's an amazing space. It's an amazing opportunity and it won't be possible without you guys so if you guys could 
please just take a brief moment to head on over to podcastawards.com and it takes two seconds. Uh, that's an exaggeration, but it takes no longer than two minutes to nominate Podswoggle, a wrestling podcast with entertainment, uh, for a podcast award in the People's Choice category as well as the uh, entertainment category. Hit us up in those uh, categories. Also, for the comedy category, hit up Dilettante Ball. Our good friends over at Dilettante Ball, uh, they've been uh, friends of the show. They've been on the blank slate for uh, Halloween Creep 2K14, and uh, they definitely deserve to be also nominated for a for a comedy podcast, um, the Podcast Awards. Voting ends or nominations close on February 2nd. 2015 so don't waste time head on over to podcastawards.com and nominate podswoggle and dilettante ball uh yeah thank you guys so much for everything you do thank you very much for listening thank you very much for putting up with this long-winded intro um and do enjoy this interview with stacy buck it's uh man (laughs) it's good i can get better he was great Enjoy the rest of the show. So, uh, I'm joined over Skype by uh, Stacy Buck, co-author of uh, the... Is this your most recent book? Is Users your most recent uh, book to come out? Yeah, that's the most recent one. Um Users book one, and we're almost done with users book two, so that should be coming out here shortly. But yeah, that's the most recent book we put out. And uh, you write uh, the majority of these books, if not, I believe, all of them with uh, your wife, Jennifer. Is that not correct? Yeah, yeah. Me and my wife, we co write all of our books. Um, so far, we've done three three books with the fourth one coming out. So, where, uh, so where, where are you from originally? Well, we're. We're both from Seattle, uh, just a little town outside Seattle, but uh, we're, we're born and raised in uh, this town called Covington. Okay. It's kind of a suburb of Seattle where it just always rains every day, basically. What's there to do in Covington? Pretty much just kind of like go into the city, or what did you guys used to do to kind of pass the time? Um, usually drugs and party most of the time, but... <laughs> The, uh, it's a little podunk, like Cowtown, basically. It's, there's not a lot going on there. It's, it's not a big city at all. It's a small town. Yeah, I, I don't think that's something people really realize that much, is that there are podunk, small, little, like, towns, at, like, like, cow towns, essentially, like you described, everywhere. Like, I'm from, like, the south, essentially, south Florida, but I spent a lot of time in, like, north central Florida, which is pretty damn southern. And people right. pretty much associate that kind of thing with the South or, you know, kind of like Midwest a little bit, like Southern Midwest. But, yeah, people don't realize that it, that type of thing is, is everywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of them up out in the Seattle suburbs. It's just, you know, the only difference is we're just freezing our ass off up here. It's, you know, it's just rainy and cold all the time. But, you know, it's essentially, it's, you know, just the small, you know, wooded towns are just rural everywhere. So what was uh, your kind of upbringing like out there? You know, I, uh, to say things were strained would be an understatement, I guess. I don't know. I, 
I don't have the best relationship with my parents and stuff, which is kind of the inspiration behind the books and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. roughly out of all the books I've done, you know, more autobiographical, more autobiographical than any of the other ones. Um, my idea kind of behind it is that like, what if, like, if I, if a superhero had all the same problems that I have with like addiction and stuff like that. And just kind of extrapolated from there. Yeah, it's just um, I, I'm huge into like comic books. I'm a big comic book reader, um, a fan of you know all the movies and stuff like that, and the superhero stuff, the genre in general. So I got that nerdy side to me, but then I also have you know this dark, darker side to me too. It's more into you know into drugs and and stuff like that. And uh, I've been sober for a number of years, but you know it started out the way anything did. You know, a lot of people do where. I used to, you know, drink and smoke weed in high school, and it just mm-hmm. progressed from there. It was kind of like that classic uh, gateway drug type thing. Right. And then, yeah, you'd sort of find yourself in a place where it's like, how in the hell did I get here? But, you know, you realize. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's an ugly, you know, it's an ugly thing. It's, uh, it's when you have an addiction that you need to feed every day, it's not like, you know, smoking weed or drinking alcohol. It, I guess if you're an alcoholic – it's hard to, to say because everybody that's got an addiction, they want to think that theirs is so unique to them. But yeah. really, addiction is addiction. It doesn't matter what it is. But heroin addiction in particular is, is so it's so ugly because it's just got to be fed every day or otherwise you get sick. So I was at to a habit where I was spending like $200 a day just to feel normal. Jesus. And so that started out with... Um, with partying and stuff. And I never really had like a lot of addicted, like addictions to, you know, alcohol or something like that. But, uh, when you try, it started out where I hurt my back and, uh, started taking pain pills and those people don't realize that just cause those, you know, come from a doctor, they're not safe. You know, they're, there's right. those drugs are super addictive. And so my idea was kind of like, what if this superhero kind of went down the same path I did where I kind of have like a lot of emotional stuff too with my parents. Uh, my father was really abusive. Is this supposed to be a comedy podcast or is this like, no just, man. Yeah. We're just, you know, <laughs> just talking, man. I'm just bringing it way down and making it dark. But, uh, I had like an abusive father growing up. And so I had like a lot of emotional issues that I had to deal with and stuff. Um, that all kind of came along with that addiction. Uh, so what I, you know, I tried to self medicate myself for years. Um, and when I found opiates that just made things feel like normal and okay for me finally to be, to be me. Right. Um, and that was something that really, not that in particular, but definitely the authenticity of the concept and the, the struggle of addiction came through in users, I think in, you know, in my personal reading and, uh, uh, uh telling of it. Um, and then, you know, cause I'm going through the whole book the whole time going like, wow, this has a really real feel to it. Not that I really know what it like, what it's like, but it, you know, doesn't feel like a regular sort of portrayal that you would see, you know, in most shows or movies or something like that. And then I get to the end and read your your uh, the author note and see, oh, this, uh, uh, yeah, this was actually gone through to a certain extent. And then I love the 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 spin on it, not spin, but the uh, being able to put this into a, a superhero story. And because that's something that's never really, you know, in a, a wide mainstream venue been really touched on, I don't think. 
Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the book, it's got a lot of, it's kind of like a mix of like Sin City. Have you ever seen Sin City or read yeah. the comics? Mm-hmm. You know, it's got that kind of dark and gritty feel of Sin City. It's got like um, a little bit of like a fallen superhero team type feel like the Watchmen. That's why I hear a lot of people complain, uh, like comparing it to that it's kind of a mix of the Watchmen and, uh, and Sin City. Um, so it's definitely got, you know, it's dark and gritty, but, um, you know, I, I kind of, I think this is my best book because I was able to, you know, it's kind of that old adage of write what you know. Like that's what all like the writing gurus always say to write what you know. Mm-hmm. And in my past books, um, I don't think I was ready to touch upon the subject yet. I just don't think I was okay because it was like, it's kind of hard to write this book at times, you know, when I was touching on things that were so close to home for me, I guess. Right. Um, but it was also therapeutic in, in a lot of ways, too. And um, I'm dealing stuff like in the second book that I'm working on right now, Users 2, I'm dealing with like a lot of the stuff where Carter's dad, like Carter's dad comes into it. And I'm dealing with like a lot of that stuff with uh, like me and, and my parents and stuff like that. Um, so there's definitely, it's definitely got a lot of... Uh, it's got that real feel to it because the superhero stuff's all made up, but all the things that with the addiction and stuff, those are all, they're real. Like that's stuff that all the real humanistic elements are actually because it's from an actual human. Right. Absolutely. Uh, do you feel like having gotten those other books under your belt kind of prepared you to better be able to write about that kind of stuff? Yeah. You know, definitely, I started like two years ago, Um, I decided I was going to, you know, I wanted to write when I was a kid, and I always liked writing, but I would never finish anything because I was too busy just being messed up on uh, drugs or alcohol or whatever, and um, when you're in that state of mind, you're just not going to finish anything, unfortunately, so um, I wanted to write when I was a kid, but until I finally sobered up and got my, my stuff together... Um, I wasn't able to finish anything. And so, you know, a couple of years back, I sobered up and then I had a few years under my belt and, uh, decided, you know, it was time to, if I wanted to pursue this thing to, to finally do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I started writing Squano Undead, which is, uh, my alternate history horror zombie novel, uh, which is the least popular of my books because it's, I think it's a little niche for, for, uh, a wide audience, but, um, I kind of learned the ropes there, and it, it's not written as well as the other books. You can definitely tell it's an author's first try out um, at writing something. Mm-hmm. I literally have, like, other than writing, like, an email. That's the only thing I, I, I wrote. I sat down, and I wrote that book, and that book uh, came out, and I, I published it, um, which probably wasn't the best idea, but um, I think people, you know, can see that, it, I wanted to have it out there. That way, when people read my other stuff and they go back, they kind of can see the progression, I guess, of where I've come from. Um, I, I just big into like zombies and stuff. So I wanted to do something. In all my books, I want to do something that's kind of never been done before. So I try and mash things together. So, like, I know there's a ton of zombie books out there, but I wanted to do, I never have seen like Native Americans and zombies. So I, I like found like a historical figure in Squano and I, I just mashed the two together and kind of used. Uh, Squano's real life mixed in with uh, what would happen in, if uh, if the natives that all got sick and died that, that uh, when they 
got the, the diseases from the Europeans when they came over. Mm-hmm. Well, what if that switched and the Europeans started getting sick? What would history look like? It would be totally different. Right. Uh, and so I, I made the, the Europeans all get diseases from the natives when they came over to America. And then they, they, when they get sick and die, they rise up and become the undead. Hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you have your uh, – the other book series is Clockwork Wings, The Chronicles of Icarus. Right. Um, that's, go ahead. That's a, that's a Greek mythology um, steampunk mashup. So what uh, what's your kind of like research process uh, going into like those type of books? Whereas like users was a little bit more personal. These are kind of much more coming from just straight up off the dome imagination and stuff like that. But also, they have either mythology or history behind them. What what does what does the research kind of like look like for that? Or you know what kind of goes into that? Yeah, you know, again, I kind of got these two sides where. Like, uh, what, like I, I'm like a huge history buff and stuff, and I love like mythology and legend and stuff like that. So it's kind of a weird hobby for a junkie, I guess, to be into like, you know, ancient history or uh, I'm big on Roman history. Uh, I love Greek history. I'm into uh, Native American history, and uh, as part of that Greek history, I was into the mythology that came along with that. So. Um, I just love the subject, so um, it was easy for me to do the research because it's just just um, researching something that I was already kind of into. Yeah, I mean, dude, I'd honestly never, you know, I I used to feel the same way, just sort of about uh, being surprised by different types of people liking different things. But I, you know, at a certain point, you meet so many people that just like like things that surprise you. You're just like, man, just just. I, I realized, like, I started accepting just, oh, man, all sorts of people, like, all sorts of things, and I'm just not going to let it surprise me anymore, whether it be, like, especially learning that through, like, the podcast and stuff like that, and just, right. you know, like, oh, wow, that type of person found this and stuff like that. It's like, okay, cool. Like, but man, like, it's been great to help not people, put people in boxes like that you would think. I don't know. I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there. Um, no you mentioned, uh, you know, you would read like comics and stuff uh, when you were a kid. Like, who were your guys growing up? Did you like just read comics, or were you into other books and stuff like that? And and like, who who were you like the most into? My biggest influence probably is an author named R. A. Salvatore. He's a, a fantasy author. Um, he does like a J. R. R. Tolkien, you know, medieval Dungeons and Dragons type stuff. Um, which I haven't tackled a book like that yet, but I'm definitely uh, waiting until I'm good enough um, before I, I venture down that road. I love fantasy and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of my biggest influence. Um, but I've been kind of scared to venture down that road yet because I just don't feel that I'm you know good enough yet to tackle uh, something you know that big. It's uh, you know, I want. I just want it to be absolutely perfect when I venture down something that I'm so close to. You know, it's. Uh, I but my fighting scenes and stuff like that, um, they're all heavily influenced by that. Like um, I had, like my beta readers and stuff tell me like uh, your fighting scenes and stuff like that come off like a poor man's Ari Salvatore, which I'm okay with that. Because <laughs> uh, 
Dude, he writes like the best fighting scenes. They're just absolutely amazing. He created this hero called Dritz, and he's uh, this dark elf, and he's got this whole dark elf uh, society that's uh, kind of like the main. It's kind of like the franchise uh, book of of uh, Forgotten Realms and, and their uh, line of books. So he's he's kind of their number one author, and um, and that and on Forgotten Realms, the publishing arm of Forgotten Realms, anyway. Okay. Um, so growing up, uh, and you finish high school, what'd, what'd you end up doing after high school? Um, uh, I had a, uh, brief stint as a drug dealer. Um, I sold weed for like three or four years out of high school. I didn't finish high school. I dropped out of high school, got a GED and then, um, went straight into selling drugs. And then I did that. Finally got arrested and then, uh, spent a day in jail and realized that was not the lifestyle that I was into and decided to kind of turn my life around. And, uh, I went out and got a day job and, and kind of quit that whole lifestyle. Cause, um, so, you know, it just was not jail is just not for me. I, I can't handle being inside of a little box with big, scary dudes all day. It's, <laughs> it's just not my thing. I, I uh, wouldn't, <laughs> you know, necessarily disagree with that opinion. Not that I've ever been there, but uh, it seems like it did the job it was supposed to. You know, I think it works for some people, you know. Like, uh, I think that our, you know, justice system has a lot of problems. Um, but, you know, some people do go in there and, and get reformed and come back out and, and want to do better. Um, you know, it's definitely... It's got that side of it where people come out and they're just worse criminals too. But yeah. um, you know, it scared me straight, like just straight out of the TV show. Like, uh, was in there with dudes that like wanted to jump me into a gang and stuff like that. And I was like, no, I am out of here. Uh, I had guys. I traded socks with some guy that had been wearing the same pair of socks for the last six months. They only give them one pair of socks in there, and so what they do is they trade underwear and socks with guys that are only in there for like a day or two, and that's the only way they get clean socks and underwear. So you got to wear some dudes like six month old underwear out of there, uh, on your way out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was pretty nasty. Damn. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> that took me, uh, maybe, uh, swerved me a little bit there. Um, yeah. Cause don't really hear about that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, there's still so much that you think is, is you just have these preconceived notions about what you see on TV and stuff like that. And then, just always constantly like, oh, yeah, there's still so much more that you'll never uh, hear or understand or anything like that. Um, so how was it that uh, you and Jennifer started to come to like writing together? Like, how did you guys figure out that that was a uh, productive, like working relationship? Um. You know, it started out where I just needed someone to edit, you know, um, and we pretty much were trying to, we started out like a shoestring budget where we just didn't have a lot of money. We both have decent jobs and stuff like that, but we got five kids and a house and dog and two cats and stuff like that. So, um, you know, so we just wanted to put a book out kind of the, uh, as cheap as possible the first time, you know, I've read a lot of books on writing and stuff like that and you just never know how it's going to go. Like, Majority of people that write, they're going to write one book, put it out, and then never write another book again. Um, so before we went ahead and, and uh, decided we were going to put money up for an editor and cover design and all that stuff, um, we just wanted to do it on the cheap. So um, 
she was just going to edit the first book and then she started adding stuff and um, she, you know, went through and, and, and made it so much better that I was like, I just couldn't do it on my own um, the way that I could do it with her. So um, she just adds so much to it. So basically what I'll do is I'll do the outline of what the book's going to be. I'll sit down and I'll write the rough draft and then my wife will come in and she, she'll go over the whole book, adding stuff, taking stuff out, um, do, cleaning up my grammar and stuff like that. But she also just, you know, adds to the storylines and, um, you know, we have brainstorming meetings. We try to go through the whole process together. Um, but at the same time, we both play a role. Um, whereas like I'll do the rough draft and then she'll do the polish basically. Okay. I was actually just about to ask what the, uh, the process was. And, uh, was and uh, she? Where? What's her background? Is she from the same town or? Yeah, we met when we were. Uh, I was fifteen and she was sixteen uh, in high school, and um, we were together for a couple years. We ended up breaking up. Um, we were a little bit young to. Uh... Are you still hearing me? Yeah. Okay, my computer went wacko there for a second. Okay, so anyway, um, we met when we were kids. Um, and uh, she was one of my first loves. It's, and um, we broke up at the end of high school. Uh, I went and met another girl. She met her uh, soon-to-be husband. And uh, they moved down to California. And uh, we didn't see each other for almost six or seven years, I think. And uh, she was, ended up, their relationship ended up not working out. My relationship ended up not working out. And so, um, you know, that seven years later, we reconnected and uh, started seeing each other again. She got a divorce. And I I never got married, but I was in a relationship where I had two kids with another woman. And uh, we ended up getting back together. And so now we kind of had this big blended family where she has two kids from a previous relationship. I have two kids from a previous relationship. And then we have one kid together. So... That's kind of how we ended up with five kids is that we each have two plus we have the one with each other. So that's, uh, yeah, we were kind of high school sweethearts, I guess, but it kind of didn't go down the fairy tale path until much later on when we were in our mid twenties and more, we were older and more responsible and, uh, able to actually invest in the relationship the way that we should have, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, because you know, the whole concept of like a, a fairy tale relationship or whatever straight up doesn't exist. It sounds like to me, you guys essentially went to like relationship college and learned how to like <laughs> be in a relationship. And now you guys are graduated and, and learned and, and know how it works. And like, that's what it sounds like to me anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of those relationships out of high school, they, you know, you, you hear a lot of horror stories about how, you know, things don't end up or they end up in a relationship that they're unhappy with. And, you know, either stick it out or end up getting divorced or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it just doesn't, life just kind of takes its own course, I guess, sometimes. And it works out the way it's supposed to in the end, I think most times. So what's, uh, what's next on the horizon? You mentioned that you guys are almost done writing users too. And you also want to do sort of that, uh, the fantasy type genre and dip into that as well. Uh, what else do you guys have in mind as far as, you know, things coming out more you know goals reaching into other mediums anything like that yeah i want to do more of the audio for sure um i definitely um now that we've got kind of the first three series laid out 
Um, just keep working on those. I already got the cover for Users 3 done, so I know that's going to be coming up. I got the outline done for Clockwork Wings 2 done. Um, that's kind of our most popular series um, right now. So we're going to do Clockwork Wings 2 next, um, and then Users 3, and then i got to go back. And i got to finish Squano Undead. Um, at some point that's the book that book doesn't sell it's just it's so it's just so weird that people just i think are turned off by it for some reason but uh which is kind of a good thing because it's not that well written out of compared to the rest of the books they're so much better um but i i left that one now when i write a story um i'll take it through um the natural progression of the, the three acts um and have a, a definite ending at the end of each story um, and I did that with Clockwork Wings. I did that with users, and I, but I leave them open to where we continue on. We can continue on to the next uh, book or series. Um, but with Squan One Dead, I have like a total cliffhanger ending, and it drove people nuts that read it. So uh, I got to go back and I got to finish that one day. But I'm just I got to do it eventually. But I'm so reluctant because it just is like such a, it's just such a turd. It does not sell. So it's like no, going in knowing I got to spend. Um, you know, however many hours, you know, right. to sit down and write this thing that I know for sure is not going to sell, but I, I can't leave people hanging. I'm not, I'm not going to do that to my readers that have you know, read the book or, and the people that continue to read it. Um, I'm going to go in I'm going to write the final chapter to finish that thing up um, or the final part. You know, it's I did that in a five-part series. Uh, um, excuse me. Um, so I'm going to go in and write a sixth part to kind of wrap that whole thing up eventually. Um, and I've got other ideas. I got this crazy idea. Of, uh, I love like cryptozoology, like Bigfoot stuff like that. So I got like an idea along those lines uh, about these frogmen that kind of take over a town. It's kind of based on this sighting from the 1970s that happened in this uh, town called, or this county called Loveland County. Uh, there was uh, a, a sheriff in the, uh, the county sheriff that drove up on what he described as three frogmen standing on the side of the road holding a glowing orb. Uh, it's just this crazy sighting, and it's just, like, so bizarre that I kind of want to do, like, a... Uh, have you seen the movie The Crazies, where, like... You ever yes. seen that one? Yes. I want to do, like, a version of that with frogmen or something, like, just something bizarre. Yeah. Like, where they uh, have, like, this ball, this glowing ball, and it uses they use that to, like, mind-control people or something, and... Uh, so I got like some just super wacky ideas that I kind of want to do before I do the fantasy one again. But I, I want to, you know, do more horror. And But behind like, uh, you know, even though Squano and Dead's like a horror novel and Clockwork Wings is like a steampunk novel and Users is, um, you know, like a superhero book, like uh, all my books have like an underlying, like they're all adventure. Like there's there's more like, uh, a, they're more action adventure than anything else. There's lots of fight, lots of battles and fighting and stuff like that. So um even though I write like in these different genres and which is a really bad move. Like if you want to be a successful author, like you want to go into one genre and just like pound it down, like do like 10 books in a genre, like that's the way to success. But like, I just do everything that's like the opposite way to like actually succeeding in life. So I'm just going to hop all these different genres and, uh, you know, just do just in all different kinds of genres. Well, I think you sort of said it yourself in that your genre is really action-adventure and you're just putting it in all these different contexts and situations, you know? I think that's really kind of the, the underlying thread. And just the more you do that and write 
you know, those kind of scenes and situations and types of sequences, like the better you're just going to get at that. How long have you been writing at this point for? Um, I'm coming up on two years now. Wow. Wow. So you've, wow. That's, that's a lot to, to put out in such a concentrated amount of time. Um, yeah. It took me the, the first year to write Swano Undead. And then in the second year, I wrote Clockwork Wings and Users 1 and part of Users 2. Um, this year, I'm planning on doing at least four books in, that, in, in a year. So I'm getting, I've gotten progressively faster as I start to outline more. I, I like to like go in and just read I like a big like lifetime learner. So I'll just go in and like and just self teach myself like um, buy every book that I can on on reading and write on writing and self publishing and just sharpen my you know writing sword like a ninja basically. Yeah. So uh, you know as I've learned more and more and more um, on you know, the structure and the plot lines and uh, building characters and stuff like that. Um, my writing just keeps getting faster and faster. So I'm able to put out, you know, m- more books in that same time frame. And it also sounds like you're teaching yourself on the sort of the business aspect of things as well. And it just, I was, you know, you mentioned about uh, Squano Undead, not really like uh, having sold much, but that's sort of the, the fascinating thing about this online space, which is still as much as we're acclimated to it, we still are in the very, very early stages of it. And like, you know, there's a solid chance where it just hasn't found its audience yet, but it's still available. And it's not just like buried in some bookstore somewhere. Um, and uh, you, cause you met, and you also mentioned self publishing. Um, what are, uh, is it prime evil, prime evil publishing? Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's Primeval Publishing, spelled like uh, Prime, P-R-I-M-E, and then Evil Publishing. So it's kind of a Primeval Publishing, play on words. Okay. Kind of thing there. Uh, what, what, what would you say you kind of gleaned from just sort of the, the, the business side of things? Because it, it, it's flowery and romantic to want to be a writer and, and have those type of aspirations to really tell your story and everything. But, you know, to be like a self-publisher and really try to make it happen – for yourself on your own it's it's a completely different side of the business and i know this from other stuff that i'm trying to figure out that right. you just never you're just completely ill prepared for but there's still plenty out there to, to sort of help you learn it kind of on your own like what would you say is probably like the biggest uh sort of deep end that you've had to jump in on that end of things yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of the whole thing. It's, uh, you know, there's the kind of the buzzword right now is being an author entrepreneur um, where you kind of have to do in this day and age, if you want to um, be a self-publisher, you have to do everything, you know. Uh, you're, you're in every position in the company. Um, and that goes from, you know, whether you want to just, uh, you know, publish in digital format and then you got to do the paperback and then there's – you know the audio book, and then uh, there's foreign rights. There's all different kinds of stuff, and um, you know you get to. I think it's it's so much fun. You get to collaborate with people um, at times. You know, writing is such a solitary thing. Like I have my wife, but like we don't sit down and write together. You know, like I'll write, and then like later I'll give her the computer and she'll write. But like when you get to do like an audio book, you get to go out and you get to do that with another person. You have this a narrator involved, and you guys are sharing your art and stuff like that. Uh, same when you're doing like uh, like um, for uh, foreign rights, like you got to find an, an interpreter to come in and then they're going to rewrite your book in another language. So you're getting to kind of work with another person. So there, it's 
there's just so it's so uh, it's just fast. There's so many things to do from the marketing uh, standpoint and uh, you know being your own publisher. But I just wouldn't be able to do it any other way. Like I have friends and uh, author friends online. Uh, some of them are traditionally published, and I just don't think I'd want to give away my rights like that. I think that if it still was the old style way where you had to write your manuscript and then submit to these publishers and stuff and then wait for some guy to you know, make this decision about whether you're good enough or not, I just don't think I could do that. I, I, I don't think I would even be writing. I just, I just have too much of an indie spirit in me, I guess to want to uh, put up with that. I want to let the readers and the audience decide whether my stuff's good enough or not. Not some stuffed coat guy that's, you know, in some office somewhere with a slush pile of 10,000 books, you know, just praying that he's going to pick up, you know, my book out of the pile. And also disconnected. Chances are that the types of books that would read what you're writing aren't the types of books that he would read. Yeah, it's, it's probably slim to none that well, you know these guys are going to be looking for something. So you know my stuff's kind of you know niche. I, I you know I write for kind of an alternative audience, I guess. Um, but you know in today's, it's happened with TV. It's happening with music that uh, you, you only need like a thousand true fans. They say, and that that thousand true fans, they're going to uh, buy everything you put out, yep. and they'll be the ones that support you. And uh, you know that's all you need if you're you know, the sole uh, head of the company and the, and the creator. Um, you don't need a, a, a whole team and that, you know, um, that kind of overrun that, you know, the, the, what am I trying to say? The, the head, the expenses that come with having a big company, you know, yeah. I don't have that. So it's, uh, I just get to, you know, sell a fraction of, of the books and I, I can live just fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can give my books the chance to find their audience. You know, the average, print book they go out there and they have two weeks on the shelves and if they don't sell within those two weeks they start pulling them back and then they end up in the pulp and they burn those things i mean that's that's all changed and the big publishers you know they're going the way of the record industry that the way that happened they're clinging on for dear life but uh i just don't think i don't think they're they got a chance unfortunately yeah uh man a lot of the things that you just said in like the last probably five, seven minutes, I've been just finding a lot of the same through lines as far as like podcasting and sort of that whole uh, uh, space. Radio stuff. And yeah, and just with radio going by the wayside and mm-hmm. more people, I mean, podcasting is finally like getting into cars with Stitcher being in Dash and stuff like that. And it just being, again, so niche, and also you're wearing so many different hats, you're having to play so many different roles, you're not, it's not just talking into a mic, you got to figure out how to set up an RSS feed, and if you're going to have a website, and if you're lucky enough to be able to sell advertising, you got to become an ad salesman all of a sudden, and it's, these are all things no one uh, saw coming, really, which is why, you know, we're all just, like, we're that first wave trying to figure it out. Uh, and we're trying to figure it out as fast as we can, so the next wave isn't the one to benefit from all of it. Yeah, it's great though because what it does, in the, you know, the biggest thing that it does is it takes down that barrier between creator and consumer. It's so it the it's just it goes straight from the creator right to the consumer without any input from uh, you know the, the people up up above that can uh, you know. It's really it creates more of a true art. Um, 
by being able to go straight from uh, the person who created it right to the person who's hearing it or reading it or seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and I think that's, uh, I think it's fundamentally better. Um, you know, you look at a lot of these like YouTube shows that are on now that are yeah. uh, like Epic Meal Time or something like mm-hmm. that. Like I don't think that that something like that would have ever existed without uh, you know this ability to just go straight to the consumer and then they decide that you know how how much that thing is just blown up it's huge now that never would have been on on food network and the best thing i love about all of this is that i can tell you exactly how many people this is getting to i can tell you exact hard numbers as opposed to like tv ratings where it's just extrapolated over a bunch of people that have to write in a diary essentially you know that's what makes it even better for advertisers and and advertisers are finally starting to come around to realize that they're getting you know the type of numbers that they uh like in concrete the pulse has never been louder than now that you can go directly to your audience right what other uh what other audiobooks do you got coming out um, I have, uh, let's see, also, uh, the book that came out the same week that, uh, users did was, uh, How My Gay Uncle Effed Up Christmas, uh, by Nicholas Black. <laughs> it is, it was a very much, to- it was a very tonally different book from users. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> I was, uh, recording those during the same, like, both of those books, those were my main projects, uh, at the same time. And, it, you know, I would like alternate what, you know, what I was reading one day to the next. And it was, it was, yeah. uh, I was getting in a really weird place. It's like this really uh, off color, like coming of age novel. Um, right. It's pretty interesting. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, I've also done work on the Sky Castle uh, middle school children's books. Uh, by Andy Mulberry. She's working on the third one now, so hopefully uh, I've done the first two. Hopefully um, I'll be working on that soon for the the third book. And uh, yeah, just you know, kind of you know, working on some more auditions in the meantime for uh, ACX. What was your uh, how how would you? I was curious actually about this. This might be more personal than anything, but I was kind of curious on uh, your take on the just like how that worked and how the dynamic of like going through this. Uh, Andy Mulberry mentioned this in her blog uh, about using ACX.com and it essentially being like a match.com for authors and and narrators. Like, what was your experience? How would you sort of surmise that? Oh, I I mean, it's it's great. It's... uh... And you don't have to say that just because, you know, you're talking to me. No, no. I I think think it's awesome. I mean, the ability to... I mean, obviously they're owned by Amazon, and they're they're kind of putting this together to push audiobooks more. Um, but who would have thought that there would be a, you know a place like that where you could go to be able to set something like this up? I mean, mm-hmm. the search that you would have to have gone through without ACX to try and match up you know an author with a, a narrator in the past, I can't even imagine how hard it must have been. You know, um, unless you you were a traditional publisher and had those kind of guys on staff. I mean, right. um, it, it would have been nearly impossible. I just would not have had an audio book. I'm sure it, there's just no way it, it, it would have been just nearly impossible. And I feel so, like, I, sorry, go ahead. So I, I just think it's, it's awesome. I mean, it, it, it's money that's would have been left on the table if yeah. without the audio book out there. Um, you know, it, it's just the ability to get your book out in more formats. And it, you know, there's a lot of people that only, you know, listen, 
to books on audio. That, mm-hmm. and you're reading it. You're reaching a tol- totally different, um, uh, a totally different audience. You know, you got people that are blind. That, that that's the only way they can read. You know. Yeah, it's uh, it's become a a completely legitimized part of the the industry. Whereas books on tape used to be like a punchline, and now audiobooks are like one of the fastest aspects, like fastest growing aspects in the publishing industry. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I don't know how many um, like authors or narrators you have listening, but I just uh, on your podcast, but the, the it's now's the time to get in. There's the competition is so much lower. Then uh, you know they've got millions and millions of books that come out every year on uh, on paperback and uh, and um, and eBooks, but they only have like 150,000 titles on on Audible. I mean, it's the the uh, gap is huge, uh, so the competition is just so much less. Um, a lot of the, my author friends they don't have audio books, so um, you know we're getting in early, and it's. Uh, I think it's just going to explode in the next couple of years. I just have a feeling that um, that audio is going to be the next big thing in publishing. I really do. That's why I was so eager to get in on uh, right now while it's still early. I uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, from from uh, my uh, point of view and my aspect. And um, but yeah, so I think uh, we'll probably go ahead and, and uh, wrap it up there. Uh, there's definitely more I want to talk about, uh, but. You know what? Let's go ahead and save that for when Users 2 is coming out, huh? That sounds good. Good deal. Um, cool. Well, I'll just go ahead and start uh, wrapping things up on my end. Thank you very much for listening to uh, The Blank Slate, the first in the Blank Page uh, series of interviews. Uh, you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Blank Slate Pod. Shoot us an email with uh, any other questions or comments you had about this interview or uh, any other Things that you just have in mind to blank slate podcast at gmail.com. Please uh, rate and review us by and subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, uh, any other pod catching software that you may have. And uh, from a personal aspect, please go check out uh, uh, all my stuff uh, at Rich Cami on Twitter, at Rich Cami4 on Instagram, uh, Rich Camalucci on Audible for the rest of my uh, uh, narrations and audiobook works. And um, also check out the other podcasts on the Podswoggle Network uh, Podswoggle, a wrestling podcast with entertainment, married with movies, and picked up. Um, and that's all my stuff. Uh, what do you have to plug, Stacey? I, I just want everybody to go out and uh, check out Users on Audiobook. That's uh, the main thing right now. Hell yeah. And where can the people find you if they want to uh, follow you or give you a shout or anything like that? Uh, you can go to uh, at Stacy Buck Writing on uh, Twitter and uh, primevilpublishing.squarespace.com is our website. Good deal. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the pod and uh, look forward oh. to working together more in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. All right. Uh, this has been the blank slate and oh god this happens every time there's someone new on the podcast and I realize this is how we actually sign off and we haven't changed it catch us later you can delete this now (laughs) yeah oh yeah get it out (laughs) that's funny (laughs) this has been a Podswoggle Network production visit podswoggle.com for more of that sweet sweet entertainment